the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. For the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever. God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Woo-hoo! Here we are, folks. So glad to be with you this evening on this Mother's Day 2019. Wow. Happy Mom's Day, everybody. Uh, well, moms. Happy Mom's Day, moms. Well, those of you mar- are moms and those that you have moms and those of you, that, uh, you know, we all have. You know, an interesting thing happened to me on the way to the forum tonight, John. I, um, it's interesting. This week, a young man out of Houston, Texas named Jake emailed me out of the blue. He turns out to be the great-grandson of the woman who found me on the streets of Albuquerque, New Mexico as a newborn baby and changed my and saved my life. He's her great-grandson and he said he wrote to me and said, "You know, my mom and dad and, and others throughout in our family have always told me about you, this little Apache baby that Winnie it was the name they knew, the great grandma that Winnie saved as a, as an infant, and so you you kind of a legend you know, the, about you serving God in the missionary field and all, and you've been an inspiration. He said, but but I my uncle my uncle Richard died about a year ago, and we got some things from him. We had a shoebox, and I just happened to open it up, and it had some pictures of Winnie about the time when she found you on the streets of Albuquerque. And, and and so he sent me the pictures of this woman who I thought was my mother until I was about 18 or 19 years of age. And I, and I, I heard the rest of the story about 
the little Apache girl on the reservation and how this, that, and the other. But it, all of that happened this week, and Mother's Day week, and I, I was so excited. And so it was so fun to see the photos of this young woman. Now, uh, one of the photos he sent me, he sent me about four or five photos. One of them had the picture of her at a, more or less the age when I knew her. And I remember, I recognize her, I remember her. Um, I lived uh, with her for about the first five years of my life till I was five years old. So um, she she kept me. Uh, she was married five times, and she got me during her third. She was separated from her third husband. That's I get the name Dollar from her third husband, uh, and so on. But but she passed me around to the adult children of her fir- by her first marriage. So I lived with them and so on and so on uh, a little bit of while. You know, just different people would, people would keep me. I lived with 16 families before I was six years old. And then they put me into the Home for Homeless and Delinquent Boys up in West Texas, uh, Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. Many of you have written and told me you know about Boys Ranch. And, and that's where I met Christ when I was age eight, and he changed the whole trajectory of my life. And, uh, of course, it's been an amazing journey since then of just knowing, walking with the Lord and serving him. But to get that letter, that email out of the blue from this fella, this young boy kind of Tracked me down to the internet and and uh, found out and sent me this picture of the. I'll show you the pictures after the program, John, or during the break. She was a beautiful young gal. This uh, woman who took me in, she was a fortune teller. Uh, she, you know, the crystal ball, tarot cards, and palm reading, that sort of thing. Uh, she, she, but she had compassion on the baby, evidently, uh, and took me in, found me, and kept me and. And I have vague memories. I only know her, knew her till she was killed in a car accident when I was eight. And so, but uh, I knew her. You know, I knew her. She. she um, oh, I have I have certain memories in my mind. Once I remember her, I set the curtains on fire. <laughs> In our home one time, and I remember chasing me through the house with a clothes hanger to give me a spanking. Uh, I know. I remember she teaching me how to peel potatoes and get real mad at me because I would peel off too much of the of the meat of the potato instead of just the skin. Uh, what else about her? She just uh, all you know, like uh, at night when the little five year old would sleep with her. She, I, I would, I would move around and, and, and I wouldn't be still, and she had to tell me, "Be still, be still," and so on. So uh, yeah, it's curtains for me. That's right, John is saying that setting the curtains on fire. But I remember her telling my my uh, fortune many times with the cards or with the ter- you know, and, and when she was going to take me to live at the boys' ranch. What she did was, I remember she got out the crystal ball, and she says, uh, she didn't call me Soapy. Of course, that became my nickname when I got to Boys Ranch. But she said, Newman, my name, uh, real name on the birth certificate is Newman Dollar. And, and she pronounced it Newman. And she said, Newman, you're, you're going to go, you know, looking in the crystal ball, she said, you're going to go to a place where you're going to be able to have ride horses. And I went, wow, wow, that's great. And you, you go to, and you actually, you're going to have your own horse to ride, you know. And I, so she, that's the way she got me excited about going to Boys Ranch, so that I would go willingly and happily instead of, you know, because I was going to get my own horse. And as it turns out, I did ride horses and got to ride my own pony and so on. So uh, anyway, it was a very interesting thing all to happen on on uh, Mother's Day week. 
Uh, it was a, a, a kind of an interesting thing. Some of us who are orphans, and maybe many of you have the somewhat same experiences, um, a lot of us have what we would call sur- surrogate moms. Through the years, I've had probably five or maybe half a dozen women who have kind of taken me under their wing at different times in my life, when I was in college or later, and that they, they kind of mothered me. They kind of gave me attention and love and guidance and so on. And, of course, my wife's mom, uh, we call her Ma. Uh, Ma was that way. She was kind of the last mother figure I guess I may have had. But uh, anyway, just telling you some stories about Mother's Day from an orphan's point of view. But happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. Uh, who are moms and and uh, grandmoms and so on and taking care and taking the role of mom in some people's lives? Well, uh, it, it is so important what you're doing, and uh, we applaud you and and uh, rejoice uh, with you today and honor you. Uh, so anyway, that's that's Mother's Day. Maybe if you'd like to call in this evening and tell a story about mom, I would be glad to hear from you. But we are for the program. Now we are in the book of the Acts. Sometimes your Bible says the Acts of the, the Apostles. Uh, it's what happened. The, it, frankly, it's the, the story of the, the newborn church, this, this, uh, the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the followers of, of Jesus, the, the Messiah of Israel. And how the message of Messiah, the message of Jesus Christ uh, as Savior, his the, the message of the work of redemption that he carried out in in history, uh, his uh, life and so on, uh, spread. Uh, this was now remember Christianity as a religious system. Christianity is based on a revelation. Now, this is very different from many from many other religious systems, particularly the religious systems that were available in the world of Jesus' day. If you go back to that first century, you're you're in the times of the Roman Empire. You're going to find that uh, there there were a lot of different religions. And but mainly they were uh, polytheistic, uh, many many gods that people had made up and invented, like a like a, a Roman mythology. You know, you know Zeus and uh, and uh, oh I don't know all of these um, different gods that were made up. Mars, the, the god of war. Zeus, Mercury, the god of uh, of what messages or, or, or languages? The other different uh, the pantheon of gods now. And so, of course, like uh, like Hinduism, others, most religions either had uh, most religions were polytheistic. They had many gods and kind of made up gods. People uh, essentially they looked around them. They see the world. They see the clouds and the seasons and the trees, and they see the powerful order of the world and so on. The intelligence obviously there's some kind of an intelligence behind this these processes and these systems and these uh, uh, the weather and so on and then and the mountains and so on the streams and and there was an order through the animal kingdom and so on and so people made up they saw that and and, and instead of just worshiping the the god of creation the, the they they would make up these pantheons of gods and so on so you had that going on and Judaism pretty much stood alone as a a religion of revealed where God actually stepped into time and space and revealed something of himself 
And so uh, Judaism worshiped uh, monotheistically the one true and living God, although clearly in the Hebrew scriptures as well, there was this understanding of, uh, of, of the plurality of the deity. In other words, that there, there was one, uh, one God, and yet there seemed to be a plurality of personages. Of, uh, we call them the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now, but, and those were concepts that existed even in Judaism. This would, those are not Christian or, uh, essentially just Christian um, message or a Christian concept. Uh, the concept of the, of the uh, plurality of the Godhead was, was, well, was well embedded in, uh, in Hebrew theology and writings and, and, and understanding. And in, in the Old Testament, we see uh, references to the Holy Spirit, to God, the creator, the Father, the fatherhood of God. We see references to the Son of God. And so uh, that th- th- was it was it was an understood concept, even back in those times. So uh, just try to imagine yourself, since we're in the book of Acts this week. That's the the book that we've been reading these last this last week. All of our readings came from chapters four through sixteen of the book of Acts. And so try to put yourself back in that era. Uh, you know, we know some of the, and I'll go through some of the uh, historically some of the the characteristics of the time of uh, Jesus, that first century. Um, but essentially, spiritually, it was an incredibly dry, dry world. There, for people, for human beings who who believed in God, who believed in the spiritual world, the pickings were really very slim. There were there were not much there was not much for them to go on. There were there were all of these pantheon of invented gods, uh, you know, Greek or or, uh, or Roman mythologies and so on. Uh, you had all of those created gods created Gods that were created in man's image, you know, you, that they fought each other and they were jealous of each other, and they, uh, it was the kind of anthropological, you know, on steroids. You know, we we made them gods and, and thought of them as living on Mount whatever. Where was the Mount Mount Olympus and all of that sort of thing? These gods. So you had all of that going on, which was essentially empty and, and had nothing. Uh, you know, they, they they would sacrifice these gods. They had temple, uh, temple worship, great huge temples, and they would sacrifice. And the and the priests and so on of those uh, of those gods and of those religions would would get rich. And they were very extremely corrupt. There was temple prostitution and you know killing of infants and sac- human sacrifice. And so the, the the opportunities for somebody who was genuinely a, a person who sensed a spiritual reality in God and so there there was not much now Judaism and the worship of the one true God and God who had revealed himself and had spoken stepped into time and into history time and space had spoken had acted had moved um, Judaism was a powerful influence of that era they as long as they were faithful to hold up the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to tell about him and, and the prophets, the preaching, and so on. So there was that, and that was very, very attractive. And uh, so that, that was the setting. People, but it, it, essentially, the millions of people who lived in the time of the Roman Empire in the first century, they, they, didn't, they really didn't have 
very much to go on. Uh, the Jewish people, and I remember when, uh, at the time of Jesus' uh, death and his resurrection and so on, at the time of uh, Pentecost, when with the, the uh, entry of this new era of the Holy Spirit coming to be with God's people, most of the early... Most of the early converts to follow Jesus Christ, most of them were Jewish men and women. And, and uh, that's a, I think that's an important lesson for us to learn that comes to us from the book of Acts as well, is that we've got to stop putting people in categories. We, we've got to stop generalizing and talking about, for example, the Jews that the Jews don't believe in Christ. Millions, the earliest believers and followers of Jesus the Messiah. But Jesus himself, we got to remember, is a Jewish man. Uh, and he presents himself as the Jewish Messiah uh, uh, through, through King David, his ancestor, and so on. The, uh, the, the Messiah that was predicted by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by, through all the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, uh, Jesus was the Jewish uh, fulfillment of that prophecy and all all the early followers, his disciples, and so many of the early converts of the first—they were Jewish men and women. So we've got to stop thinking and talking as if, well, Jews are this and this. Uh, whether it's we're talking ethnically or whether we're talking religiously, there are millions of men and Jewish men and women who acknowledge and have come to know. Uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a more intimate and secure, confident way because they believe and trust in Jesus of Nazareth to be that long-awaited promised Messiah. So we, uh, I think sometimes we, <clears throat> we're so used to um, identity politics in this world and the, this people group. We try to put people in groups and people groups. And, and uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the God, the idea of knowing God goes way beyond ethnicity. It goes way beyond uh, even religion. Uh, the, it's a funny thing. I remember in my um, some of our years of ministry, we've spent twenty to twenty visited twenty to twenty five countries of the world, ministering and sharing the gospel. And I remember being go be, over in Kazakhstan, my first time in a predominantly Muslim uh, arena, a Muslim world and setting. And, and we were there sharing the gospel and talking. And the imam invited us to come and show the Jesus film in the mosque there in, in Karaganda, uh, Kazakhstan. And we went, of course, and shared. And that was when I began in, in missiology. If you read the manuals and some of the uh, the uh, those who track and, and study uh, missiology and the spread of the gospel, that was a time when uh, there was a phenomenon they called them uh, the messianic mosques. That even among Muslims, there were men and women who were in, enamored and intrigued by the person of Jesus. Uh, not the religion, but the person, who Jesus was, who he, who he said he was, what he pretended and claimed to do on our behalf, uh, and his death on the cross for the, for the atonement of our sins. And so, and, and so you, I, I think we have to, now it's not that I deny religions or deny ethnicities or culture and social, they're a reality, but they're not a limiting reality. The gospel of Jesus Christ goes far beyond uh, ethnicity, nationality goes far beyond uh, in intelligence levels and social language groups and, and differences, and even religions. Uh, th th there is, there is, there are Muslim 
They're born in those in that culture, in that society, in that Muslim world. But somehow in their heart of hearts, they, they seek and long after the true and living God, the creator of everything. And, and they seek God and they don't find that satisfied in, the, in their religion, although they may continue to practice the religion. But many of them, they hear about Jesus and, and they, the, the person of Jesus, not Christianity, and they respond. Respond to him as a person, who he was, what he said, what he claimed to do and for us. And, and they embrace and love him and, and come into a more confident, secure relationship with God, or even if they call him Allah with God, but because of their faith in Jesus. They believe that Jesus opens that door to help them to become into a, the way we do. So uh, listen, folks, don't think I'm weird. Don't think, oh, this is some crazy kind of guy. I'm, I'm as evangelical and Christ-centered as I can possibly be. But we have to understand. And I think it's one of the lessons that comes to us from the, from the book of Acts is that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ transcends all of these other uh, worldly systems and thoughts and or in organi- organizations, and the gospel is the only thing that satisfies the human heart, no matter where we come from. And maybe a person starts out being a follower of Jesus, you know, as through his Hinduism or through his his uh, Islamic beliefs and so on. But as he follows Jesus and, and learns God's word, God will guide him and direct him and to to a healthy growth and to to be a part of the body of Christ and find other believers. And so God will guide in that. But but uh, let's not limit uh, God or the Holy Spirit or the power of the gospel. Uh, to just people who come from certain cultures and societies and backgrounds, um, the gospel. I, I've seen people when I, in Mongolia, for example, who the first time they ever heard about Jesus, uh, never heard his name before. They hear the simple gospel message, and they embrace him, and they say, "Wow, that's what I've been looking for my whole life." Uh, I've told sometimes the story of the uh, village leader, the mayor of a village up in in uh, Mongolia. Uh, on my third trip to Mongolia, we were, oh, oh gosh, we've had so many exciting adventures there, watching the Church of Jesus Christ in Mongolia, uh, the modern church, come into existence and grow and expand. But I remember going to a village up in the northern part of Mongolia, and um, we showed the Jesus film to the whole village, about 300, 350 people. Out in the, uh, in the outdoor, we put up an outdoor screen and make kind of a make-do screen, and we projected the film for them to see it. And, and they were so excited. It was, of course, the Jesus film about the life of Jesus based on the Gospel of Luke. And, and of course, it was translated to Mongolian. So they were hearing Jesus and, and the message of the Gospel in Mongolian, hearing Jesus speak it to them in Mongolian. It's it just fascinating to watch this happen. I've seen it in so many cultures and language groups around the world. But uh, after we showed the film, uh, we were putting down the screen. It was about one o'clock in the morning. It was dark, beautiful, starlit Mongolian night. You know, just kind of rivals the stars are bright deep in the heart of Texas. Really, it was just beautiful. And I was sitting and talking with the mayor of the village. He came down to thank me uh, for bringing the film and kind of the international dignitary, kind of thanking me for informal formality, thanking me for bringing the cultural exchange and so on of the film. And I asked him what he thought about it, and he said, "Oh, it's a great film. It's a it's so good for our people to see it, and and so on." I said, "But what did you think of the message of the film?" 
and to this mayor of this Mongolian village. And he stood up and pulled his blanket around his shoulders. It was kind of a chilly evening. And, and he ran his hand across the beautiful Mongolian sky. And he said, all my life, I have searched for God. Tonight, I finally met him. And I learned his name is Jesus. And I thought, wow, that's right out of the book of Romans. That's right out of that first era. He had been searching for God. And, and I believe with all my heart, I, I actually am not convinced that if he had died earlier before he heard the message of the gospel, I don't know that he I, – I, I think there it's conceivable that he would have gone to glory and there he would have met the Jesus that he was seeking after. Uh, but uh, the point is, is that God brought this little Apache Indian guy over to tell him about Jesus and to give him more light, more spiritual light uh, through which he could come into a confident, secure relationship with the God he, w- he had sought and wanted to know so, so desperately. So it, it was a, so I, I just want us to kind of get that mentality as we come into the book of Acts, uh, you have to realize the world of that time lived in great, great darkness. There, there was, it was, uh, most people, the spiritually, there was, they were hopeless. They lived in despair. Uh, unless, of course, those who heard about Judaism, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was the brightest light, the greatest truth they knew about, uh, the true and living God in that, up to that moment and in that time. But there were people who were hungry for spiritual reality and truth. And, and so we're going to see that now in the Gospel of, of Acts, in the book of Acts, I'm sorry, the Gospel of Acts, the book of Acts, we're going to see what happened when this message, this core message of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, Jesus of Nazareth, when that exploded and burst out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. That's what we, that's the pattern that's, that we see in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Samaria, I mean, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, uh, of the earth. And that's kind of the outline, a great outline of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. That's what we see happening. It starts out in Jerusalem in the first uh, four chapters, and we see Stephen, the first Christian martyr. We see the, uh, the, the church there in Jerusalem begin to form, and, 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 and more and more people reached in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, 3,000 people respond to Peter's preaching after the resurrection. He stands boldly and proclaims the message of the gospel. And so we see uh, we see all of that, and we're going to watch the gospel spread out of Jerusalem, mainly by persecution. God's going to have to push them out of Jerusalem, but He does it, and it goes into Samaria, uh, Judah, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts, into these other people groups, the other cities around the modern, uh, around the Roman world of that time. Well, there's our music. We've got to take a break now, uh, but that's what we're going to talk about the book of Acts. When we come back, Jacob is going to be on the line and join us for a. Uh, a bit for a segment and I'm going to talk to you about what were four of the characteristics four of the historical characteristics that explain why Jesus was born when he's born if you want to look it up in Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to look and we're given four characteristics of the world of that time that explain why Jesus was born 
and had his ministry at the time he did. And it helps us understand, to, to a great degree, the book of Acts, this great book of missions and expansions of the gospel. We'll be back in just a little bit. Don't go away. If you'd like to call and be a part of the program, you can give us a call, uh, 210-340-9585. 9585. So give us a call. You can be a part of the program as well. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. C.S. Lewis once said, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain to find the place where all beauty came from. Hey there, welcome to another daily devotional from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading was written by Tim Gustafson. Ah, every pier is a longing in stone, says a line in Fernando Pessoa's Portuguese poem, Ode Maritima. Pessoa's pier represents the emotions we feel as a ship moves slowly away from us. The vessel departs, but the pier remains, an enduring monument to hopes and dreams, partings and yearnings. We ache for what's lost and for what we can't quite reach. We might say that Mount Nebo was Moses longing in stone. From Nebo, he gazed into the promised land, a land he would never reach. God's words to Moses in Deuteronomy 34 I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it, might seem harsh. But if that's all we see, we miss the heart of what's happening. God is speaking immense comfort to Moses. This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. Very soon, Moses would leave Nebo for a land far better than Canaan. Life often finds us standing on the pier. Amid it all, we sense echoes of Eden and hints of heaven. Our longings point us to God. He is the fulfillment we yearn for. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Middle of the night or middle of the day, you'll hear messages of God's Word from national and local hosts you know and trust all day, every day on AM630 The Word and now through your Alexa device. More at am630theword.com. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. Pink's eighth studio album, Hurts to Be Human, is a 13-track autobiographical compilation that touches on the joys and difficulties of marriage, the struggles of parenting, and the reality of sometimes fulfilled and sometimes shattered dreams. Pink has 
always been hard to pin down as an artist. Her songs are generally a mix of brutal honesty and wounded brokenness. And that applies here, too. There are hopeful, encouraging lyrics in the mix, but there's also plenty of mature content and harsh profanity in Hurts to be Human. Discerning listeners won't walk away unscathed. I'm Bob Olaszewski for Focus on the Families, plugged in. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. When he put me in this world, when he chose you as my mother, he sure made it right, he made it just right, cause you love me in a way, that's not like any other, it must be a part of heaven's design, this amazing love, has arms that reach to this is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And wipe away my tears. There's a place inside your heart that feels like home to me. Oh, this amazing love is what I need. With a faith in things unseen. All right, we are back uh, celebrating this beautiful Mother's Day here on the Bible Live radio program. We're reading the book of Acts. That's the book we're in at this time. If you don't know, every year we read through the entire Bible so that San Antonio and this great seventh largest city of America and in South Texas, 39 counties, can hear the actual words of the Bible. This is not a program about the Bible. Uh, it is uh, the Bible itself. Monday through Friday, if you tune in at 930 at this great station, you can hear uh, a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures each weeknight as you're getting ready for bed and settling down for rest. You can hear a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures, uh, the entire Bible every year. Right now, we've just finished up the books of First and Second Kings in the Hebrew Scriptures, and now we're returning now to the New Testament to spend a season here in the book of Acts, and then we'll be going back to the books of First and Second Chronicles. So we kind of bounce them back and forth, alternate back and forth from the the Old Testament Scriptures in the New Testament, and but our focus is the Bible itself. Uh, what does the Bible say? What does it mean? What does it? What is its message? We're not. Uh, limited by a religious parameter uh, or so on. We are, we actually are looking at the words of the Bible itself and letting the Bible speak for itself. And you get a chance to hear that and, and make your own mind and decision about this great book of books. And uh, we try to give some guidance and some thought here and commentary, but also you're free to call in. Give us a call, 210-340-9585. Maybe you have something to say as well about the scriptures, what they mean to you, maybe even about the book of Acts, a particular story or a particular incident in this great missions book of the New Testament. This is when the, the, the gospel message explodes out of Jerusalem 
where it was birthed uh, through the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. It explodes out of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, these concentric circles as the message spreads out of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world, particularly uh, and especially, I think, here in the Gospel of, and the book of Acts, I keep saying the Gospel, uh, through the life and ministry of this converted Jewish rabbi named Saul of Tarsus, who had his road to Damascus experience of conversion and became the great missionary of the first century to not only to the um, Jewish world, of which he was a part, but to the Gentile world and cities um, across the Roman Empire. So we'll be talking about that, and I'll be answering the question about why Jesus was born when he was born, in that particular time of history, during the time of the Roman Empire, he was coming in on the heels after Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire rose up, and, and, and God chose that moment to send the Messiah, the Redeemer. And we're going to talk about perhaps some of the reasons why that was such a, um, a perfect moment for the Messiah to come, this long-awaited Redeemer, Savior. And part of it has to do with the fact of the spiritual hunger that the people had. This was a time of tremendous spiritual hunger. People wanted to know God. They they longed for God, the Creator, to know Him. And all they got was these... Um, it was pantheism and the polytheism and these false gods and these man-created gods. And so there was this great spiritual hunger that was built up. Over half of the people that lived in the Roman Empire lived under slavery. So you had a lot – there was a lack of freedom and there was a lot of – so you can see it was it was just a – in a sense, a pregnant moment <laughs> on Mother's Day, I can say a pregnant moment, right? Uh, for it was the time was ripe for the revelation that God would give of Himself through the Messiah. But before we go there, before I get to that in just a moment, let me get, uh, let me uh, hit the button here twice and bring my good friend Jacob on, my co-host and partner in ministry here. He's not with us here in the studio tonight. He's with his family out in Arizona. And uh, but he's on the line with me now. I think he hears me as I speak. Are you there, Jacob? I, I do hear. I have my first question is: Is this a show I can call and ask questions on? Yeah, oh, yeah. And this is a show you in particular can call and answer questions. Uh, that they would like to have that too. Anyway, good to hear from you, my friend. How is the family doing? Is everybody? Oh, everybody's good. I'm actually uh, sitting here with my uh, grandson, Tavin. Oh, Tavin. Hi, Tavin. I was hoping you'd be on the line with us a bit tonight. Good to, good to be with you this evening. Thanks for saying hi to us. We're, maybe we'll get a chance to visit a bit here. I don't know what your, gran- your grandpa has in store for you, but I hope all of the family is good and, and everybody's happy and wonderful and, and uh, trust that you are. Well, Jacob, we're hey, in the book. Go ahead. Tavin wants to. Sure, he said hi to you because he remembered meeting you, and he said you're a very nice man. Oh, well, that's good. I've got him fooled, don't I? <laughs> Tavin, I, 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 uh, I, I, I told him you're a nice man. So I'm a, I'm a fan. It's not disappoint him or me. <laughs> All right, that's right. Well, listen, we're in the book of Acts now, Jacob, and I, I don't know. You've had uh, you know our questions that we we share between us about uh, that we might talk about or themes that we might talk about in the book of Acts. Overall, from a Jewish perspective, as a Jewish uh, um, believer and follower after uh, after the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what what do you make of the Book of Acts? What 
Uh, when you read it, what do you, what what's your experience? Well, you know, actually, the first time I read it, now I'm going to be honest with you, and you know this anyway, I never read it until I was actually an adult. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, of course, and I, and I tried to read it very carefully, and I analogize it to, personally, to the book of Exodus. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, so I'm watching uh, that type of thing go on. And uh, when I sit down and I go through it, I'm thinking, you know, and I really like your question about why at this time, I think I, I'm interested, and I've not heard your, your response is going to be, but I'm actually interested in hearing that your response myself. Oh, great. We'll get into that. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about the, the similarity of the times of the Book of Acts, you know, the Roman Empire and, and so on. Um, what similarity, what is it that made you sort of think, wow, this reminds me of the book of Exodus. I, I can think of one as it was, it was a time of incredible transition. It was a time when God increased the level of, of revelation that he gave to humanity. Uh, in other words, he, he gave new revelation of himself. It didn't contradict or supersede the old revelation, but it built upon it and expanded what men and women could know about the true and living God coming out of Egypt. So both of them had that characteristic, a time of great transition. Uh, There was cultural and social upheaval as the people of Israel came out of Egypt, and not only the people of Israel, but other nationalities came out of Egypt uh, with with the people of Israel that came out of Egypt and, and camped beneath Mount Sinai. Uh, what, what else makes you think, what, make, what makes you put together the idea of Exodus in the book of Acts? I think that's intriguing. Well, actually, uh, one of the things that first caught my attention when I read it uh, is that uh, not only the similarities, it begins with the idea of, of course, uh, uh, Pentecost, which we've talked about, I guess, uh-huh. and that is the exact anniversary date of when the Ten Commandments are given. So it's united by thematically by Passover and then by Pentecost or the, the Holy Spirit arriving. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the other thing that always caught my attention can I, was can that— I, let, let me interrupt just quick. Don't forget your point, okay? Yeah, sure. I, I, you just now made me think of this, is that— w- now, the Ten Commandments, as I understand from you, existed before uh, before Mount Sinai. In other words, there was a, the Noahic laws, and the, 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 the Ten Commandments as principles, as concepts, as truths, they existed before and were passed down and so on from generation to generation. But it's interesting that, it, was this the first time they were, they were actually given in written form from the by the very hand of God they in other words the Ten Commandments now something was put in writing is that would that be a distinctive as well because now you have out of the New Testament you have these this plethora of books new revelation and books about God that that start being circulated would that be a similarity based on kind of what you had said there about uh, yeah, yeah, that certainly would be a similarity. We know in Genesis it does mention that Abraham had the commandments and the ordinances, so he evidently had them because it does mention it in Genesis, and that's before the Ten Commandments of Mount Sinai and Exodus. Uh-huh. Uh, and there is, of course, there's like everything else, you know, I always say if you got three Jews, you got six opinions, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there is a thought that... Uh, 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is like the commandments, what you shall do, what you shall not do. Oh, and, uh, interesting. You know, so I, that is always uh, a traditional ancient thought, you might say. And we do know that it does say in Genesis that Abraham had them. Uh-huh. One place it comes to mind is chapter 26 of Genesis. And so, and then when you get over here, the other distinction I notice, uh, we know the date for sure of Passover that took place in Exodus. Uh-huh. We also say the same date as the date in the Christian scriptures that Jesus uh, uh, was sacrificed on the cross. Mm-hmm. And then when the Holy Spirit arrived, you'll notice in the book of Acts that it says, it says Pentecost. That means 50 days, as you probably know better than I do, uh, means it's Greek for 50 days. 50 days um, after? After Passover. Passover, okay. But one of the great distinctions is it does not give the date in the book of Acts. And, the re- and what's fascinating also, in the book of Exodus, it does not, it talks about Passover, that's where we got our absolute certainty of the date, but it does not give the date that the Ten Commandments are given. And the scholarly reason, the ancient sage reason for that is, is that we can never, ever separate Passover from the Ten Commandments. And so I take the same lesson in the book of Acts, in the Christian scriptures, Uh that it's Passover and Pentecost can never be separated from Passover because we only know the 50 days if we have the date of Passover. So that's one thing, the uniting forms. Very interesting. Yeah. And then you've got, of course, as you go through the book of Acts, I'm finding all these things. And if I might switch, because I'm afraid my grandson might be getting a little anxious. Uh And uh, could could we look at your question number 28? You bet. I've got it right here in front of me. It says, what what was determined at the church council of Acts chapter 15? And that's uh, one of the really important chapters of the book of Acts because they, 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 they were having a problem, of course, that, uh, oh, I don't know how to even characterize the problem. Uh, many uh, Jewish men and women, or the, all the early believers were Jewish men and women who came to recognize and to believe that Jesus, in, in fact, Jesus of Nazareth was indeed that long-promised and long-awaited Messiah from the Hebrew Scriptures. And so they formed a part of the church or the or the, the gathering or the uh uh, of believers, but then also there were many, many Gentiles uh, that were being uh, coming to faith. They were responding to the message of the gospel, uh, essentially a Jewish message, but now with this added aspect of the now revealed Messiah who has now come, and it, and it it was so. In, I mentioned before how Jew Gentile people were. I mean, they were spiritually. There was only it was like living in the mir- middle of the of the spiritual Sahara desert. There was there was no hope. There was no truth. There was no clear understanding of how they could not only about God, but how they could know God and be at peace with God. And here comes this message that God Himself uh, has revealed Himself. He has stepped into time and space to make a way for lost humanity and human beings to come to be reconciled to the true and living God. And wow, so many Gentiles wanted to, re- they heard that and responded to it. And so you now you had in Jerusalem, 
you have this mixed uh, uh, group, of some from a Jewish Hebrew background and, and others from a Gentile pagan, uh, even come, coming, coming out of some of the pagan religious systems and all. But they were united in the, their allegiance to Jesus and their trust in Jesus of Nazareth and their understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had brought the Messiah about and so on. So they were united around the, the biblical, the redemptive plan of the scriptures. And uh, so they had to figure out how they're going to get along because, uh, as you can imagine, that would be a lot of upheaval. There could be a lot of room for chaos there. Uh, some of the more experienced uh, religious believers from the, from the with Judaism in their background, they – you know, they had a more advanced uh, idea of religious response. And, of course, they had a long history of sacrifices and, and circumcision and, and that they that were still kept alive and not nullified at all by the gospel. But then they had to make a decision. Do these Gentile believers have to fit into that? If, if they have trusted Christ and come into know God through the faith in the Messiah, do they now have to also... Uh, practice all, all the, the religious uh, uh, steps uh, from Judaism, and so that was right. that was the crisis they had in the church, and in this council, they tried to solve that problem. Right. Yeah, and you're right. And in Acts 15, I've uh, heard many times referred to as the chapter where it says they did not have to be circumcised. Well, in fact, uh, in from the Jewish view, in Acts 15, uh, they. Gentiles, non-Jews, never had to be circumcised, but they did have to follow, even from the times that you mentioned Moses mm-hmm. uh, in the ancient settings. Do you have your Bible handy? I do, right in front of me. I thought you just might. You're that kind of. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, look at. Uh, would you be kind enough to maybe read uh, nineteen twenty twenty one? Okay, uh, we're talking about the Book of Acts, right? Acts fifteen. 19, 20, 21. Okay, I got it right here. Acts 15, verses 19. Okay, here we go. Uh, can I back up a little bit more, just so I don't start in the middle of a sentence? Uh, whatever, you, whatever you like. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And then uh, he quotes now, after the, this, is, is this James talking? This is James, yes. Okay. Jesus brother. After this, I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and so on. And he goes through 18, uh, uh, says the Lord God who does all these things, known to God from eternity are all his works, is verse 18. Now verse 19. Therefore, James, James, the half-brother of Jesus of Nazareth, and who is the head of the congregation there in Jerusalem, he says, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not trouble them, uh, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Right. So what you've got is James has made a decision because of this controversy that you mentioned. Uh Uh, Do the Gentiles have to become Jewish? Do they have to be circumcised? And James, this is a trial. James has heard the evidence from all quarters, and he's ruled in 19 and 20 and 21. No, the Gentiles do not have to be circumcised, because even in verse 21 it says, Moses 
from throughout the generations has never required that. And that's he's talking about the Torah. So that's and those laws that are being quoted. Maybe we'll talk about them a little bit. There's actually seven. It looks like four in the Book of Acts, but it's actually seven if you're kind of attuned to what's being said there. There are seven, uh-huh. and those are called the Noahide laws, as I know you know. And Tavin, my grandson, yeah, uh, listen, uh, he's not you know really uh, familiar with the Noahide laws. He does go to a Jewish school, uh-huh. but if if that's the laws for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews, mm-hmm. how many laws are there for Tavin for the Jews? Ten. Ten. And how many laws in the five books? Oh, six hundred thirteen. Okay, can you hear him okay? Yes, 613 laws in the book of uh, what, Exodus, is it? No, no, in the first five books in the Torah. Okay, in the Torah, okay, I get it, Uh uh-huh. So there's 613, is that correct, Adam? Yes. And uh, you mentioned 10. So where do we derive the the 613 from if we count them, and there's 613? And where do we derive them from? So if you split up the numbers from 613, 6 plus 1 plus 3, that equals 10. 10, and that's 10 what? Commandments. And who, who got those? Moses, from Mount Sinai. Right. So, and, and he's, then one more thing, Tavon. Yeah. Of those 613, which if we count them in the book of the Torah, this is for the Jews, not in Acts 15, the, for the non-Jews. Uh-huh. Of there, how many are the positive ones? 248. Okay, that means like what you shall do. Did you say, did, did he say, did he say 248 or 348? No, he said 248. 248, okay. And how many negative, Tavern? 365. That is correct. And if we add the 248 and the 365 together, what number do we get? 613. 613. Good, Tavern. Yeah. Yeah, that comes in the course of 613. As you count them in the five books, you come up with 613, and they can all be derived uh, from the Ten Commandments Moses got at Mount Sinai. So the Ten Commandments, so, yeah. the Ten Commandments uh, are, are, are seen as kind of the the major concepts uh, of of law, and but then there are. Uh, because after Moses gives the Ten Commandments, he, of course, fills in the blanks, and he talks about uh, there are many other laws he mentions and commandments, but they come out of their further extension and explanation of the Ten, the major Ten. Is that is that the way you understand it, that the, t- the Ten Commandments are kind of the, the you put them on the rock and stone, and they're the biggies, the big conceptual laws of God, but then there, there are... There are smaller, more detailed laws that 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 are an expansion or an extension of those Ten Commandments. Is that the way you view it? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, the Ten are what actually the word probably, if we think of it as a probably a little more accurate word, as we call them, Ten Principles. Okay. So if it's like ten, we sure. say ten commandments. So from those principles, we can derive all the six thirteen that are in the Torah, the first sure. five books. Okay, and those are the ones that he's talking about in Acts fifteen. So when James is making these rulings, he's saying, "Look, uh, and like in verse fifteen twenty four, it says, uh, he said, look, we received the commandment that you must be circumcised and keep the law.' To whom?" 
we have the commandment, but the Gentiles do not have that commandment. Right. So therefore, they never thought that the Jew, that the non-Jews had to keep all the laws. They never thought. Now, you are free to do that if you want, but that's a personal choice. Sure, but it's not necessary. Yeah, I got it. That's correct. That's not necessary. And the circumcision is one of those laws. So James is upholding, as it says in 15... Uh, Twenty-one. Mm-hmm. He was upholding. He actually says it. We're upholding Moses' law. So he's referring to the actual Torah. So what's always fascinating to me is right here in the New Testament you have the actual laws. I could call any rabbi anywhere in the world and say, in the term they use to describe him is after the guy Noah, and they called Noahide laws. And uh-huh. I could call any rabbi anywhere in the world and say, hey, uh, you ever heard of what kind of laws that the uh, Gentiles, non-Jews are supposed to keep, and he'll say, yeah, the Noahide laws. So it's a very well-known concept. Now, Tavin's not really familiar with that, because though he goes to a Jewish school, they don't really able to study that, but that's why I let him do the comparison there. Well, that's great, and we appreciate it, Tavin. You did a great job, uh, for sure. uh, But now what happened then, Jacob, is after they had this council, people came from all over the empire to to weigh in and give their thoughts and concerns. Then this decision was made by the leadership there in Jerusalem, and they wrote a letter, uh, verses 24 through 30, uh, 29, and they said, greetings, you know, dear people, you know, and they, and they wrote out that, that guidance, that decision that they had made as a council there in Jerusalem. And it ends up talking about abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality, and you keep yourself from these, you will do well, and so on. Um, well, there's our music. We're coming back on online here. Um, so we're going to come back and talk about why Jesus was born when he was born, or at least some ideas and uh, suggested ideas about that. So we'll come back and uh, and then continue our thoughts and discussion about the book of Acts in the New Testament. So I hope you'll stay with us, folks. Don't go away. We'll be right back. See the little baby Wrapped in a manger On Christmas morning You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Talking with the elders Tomorrow there's wisdom Amen This is Owen Strand for Town Hall Dr. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. You 
Rise and call her blessed. That's what we need to do with our moms, as particularly and especially, I would say, the those moms who have nurtured us in faith and not only uh, you know put uh, medicine on our on our and given a kiss to our our owies and and raising us and keeping us and guiding us in practicals, but those who have nurtured us in the in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as well, those who have prayed for us. How many times, John was just mentioning to me earlier in the program, that how many of us have to be grateful for the moms who prayed for us faithfully and believed in us and kept on believing even when we were out making a testimony for ourselves and messing up. Uh, they kept praying and believing and uh, so very many can point uh, to that reality in their own lives and how that helped bring them to faith and to uh, a change and transform life through Christ. So anyway, we are honoring our moms today on Mother's Day. Uh, Jacob is still on the phone with me, and we're going to talk a little bit now uh, about this idea of why Jesus was born where he, when he was during this particular time. And I want to read a little passage from the book of Galatians, the the letter, the little letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Galatia. Uh, now, Jacob, you can uh-huh. hear me, right? We're, we're getting quite a bit of noise. I don't know what it is uh, over the lines. Uh, oh, it, it quietened down now. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Okay. I just uh, just wanted you to know. Well, let me look at this now. From Galatians chapter 4, uh, there's a passage that Paul wrote to the uh, believers there. And Now, Galatia was not a city. Uh, like Thessalonica or Ephesus uh, or even Corinth and so on. Galatia was a region, and uh, it was actually kind of like a state in the Roman Empire, a region, uh, Galatia. And the, the letter that Paul wrote here to the Galatians, it's, it's sometimes called Romans Light. Uh, it's a very good, clear, uh, yeah, it's a little shorter, maybe the Reader's Digest version of the book of Romans. But um, it talks about uh, kind of the, the, the an explanation, a core explanation theologically of the gospel, uh, extrapolating from the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the and the prophecies and predictions there in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures and the law, uh, the Mosaic law, and so on. He he, he begins to try to explain. Okay. Uh, Jesus didn't come to nullify the law of God, but to but to but to confirm it and to and to uh, uh, accentuate it. And so he, they they tell about how how the coming of Jesus now is affecting the, those who are following after the true and living God. And in the book of uh, Galatians, chapter four, he says, um, "Even so." We, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. And then in verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God 
through Messiah. So uh, there he says that he has this reference to time. When the fullness of time had come, Jesus had been predicted, uh, the Messiah had been predicted and prophesied for hundreds of years, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. We see the first, a little bit of a veiled reference to this uh, in chapter 3, verse 15. They say is the first kind of uh, uh, written uh, prediction of the Messiah that we have is that uh, a, a... uh, the seed of the woman. Um, in other words, it's not going to be an angel. It's not going to be an animal. It's going to be a human being. It's going to be a male of the human race who would come and he would he would destroy the works of Satan. Satan had just led to the downfall of humanity, the fall, what we call the fall of man into sin, the Garden of Eden. And now he says, I'm going to send a redeemer, a savior, a champion who will overcome the effects of the fall of man and, and undo what Satan has accomplished here in the garden. And uh, although uh, even as he does that, he will be wounded uh, in his heel. And so the, uh, we see that kind of a, a first vague sort of a prediction of this Messiah, this Redeemer. We know he's going to be a male of the human race. And, and all through the Old Testament, we see these further predictions about him. Now, when is he going to come? Uh, you know that that was the that was the big question. When is the Messiah? When is the Redeemer going to come? When is uh, when is that going to happen? And the centuries went by, and the centuries went by, and history passed, and empires r- rose and fell, and still there was Israel, uh, the Jerusalem, and the people of Israel standing there, announcing and proclaiming the the truth about the true and living God, one God, uh, one God, a hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, instead of all the pantheon of, of false gods and polytheism and so on, and, and idolatry. They they were faithfully holding out the truth of the revelation that God had given them of Himself, but waiting waiting on the further the, the completion of this fur, this prediction this Messiah, and finally, uh, we believe finally on a cold night in in Bethlehem, uh, two thousand years ago, the Messiah came. The boy was born. Uh, who would step into that role by faith and fulfill all of those predictions and prophecies and fulfill the requirements that we that were the expectations of the Messiah of God and then he who knew no sin after having lived a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father, he who knew no sin became sin for us. John the Baptist, uh, Le- uh, a Levite uh, of the first century, called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we, we see that happen. Now, what was important about the time when Jesus was born? And Jacob, I want you to help me with this if you don't mind. If I, maybe you can help me with some of the details of this, okay? Because you're, you're quite the historian. Uh, in the first place, there were four characteristics of the time that Jesus lived that made his coming at that particular time very special and important and maximize the ability for that message of the, of the Redeemer, of the Messiah, to spread like wildfire across the known world of that time, the, 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 the civilized world of that time. One was called what we call the Pax Romana, uh, Roman Peace. Uh, for the first time here, we have the Roman Empire established, and although it was tyrannical and harsh and military in its foundation, in its in its basis, it, it gave a a certain uh, time of peace 
and relative stability to the world of that time. So the Pax Romana was a reality that only took place under the Roman Empire of that time uh, that the world experienced relative Relative peace, and I'm not saying in every, as we know, in Jerusalem, there was a lot of chaos and upheaval. There was a lot of corruption, both in the Jewish world and in the, in the Roman uh, hierarchy and the commanders. There was uh, led to a lot of corruption within the uh, Jewish uh, religious world at that time. But essentially, as you see Paul going across these, uh, 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 making his voyages and his journeys of missionary journeys, there was essential, uh, there were laws, there was some stability and peace that he could count on. And several times he was rescued by Roman soldiers. Uh, and many times when he went into these different cities, particularly Paul, uh, 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 although Jewish, was a Roman citizen, freeborn. And several times he was he was saved and delivered uh, from jail and so on, uh, by, and, and from chaos and from torture or from persecution by Roman soldiers. So the Pax Romana was one reality that w- was that happened at the time of Jesus' birth. The second thing were the Roman roads. Uh, One thing the Romans did, and of course all roads led to Rome, uh, is they built Rome. I I lived in in Europe for a number of years and and lived in Spain uh, and ministered in Spain for six years. And they still have some of those Roman roads that were built a couple of thousand years ago in the times of Caesar and so on. Some of those roads still exist. Uh, in, in Zaragoza, uh, in the city of Zaragoza, which is called the city of Caesar, there were roads uh, and, and gates and, and that we could see there still that dated way back into the first century. So these Roman roads, uh, they're called eters in, 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 uh, in Latin. Uh, they, these were the roads that Paul traveled down and that the message of the gospel and messengers were sent down these roads connecting the major cities of the Roman Empire. And so there was, there was safe, essentially safe travel. And not only the roads that they built, but even on the, on the ocean, on the, on the Mediterranean, there was protection and for them. Well, so you have, well Toby, may, I, may yeah. I add one thing on the roads? Please, please. Uh, Okay, yeah, on the roads, you're 100% right, everything you said, uh, but the motivation for the roads yeah. was so they never they never allowed a road to go from one country they conquered to another country they conquered. All roads, as you said, accurately, led to Rome. In other words, the roads were built, so if they had a rebellion in one of those countries, they couldn't connect because they had a connecting road, so there's none like that. But the Romans could send their armies down that road to the rebelling country. Exactly right. They meant it for one thing, but God used it for another. Kind of like uh, kind of like Joseph in the Old Testament. You, know, you, you had one thing in mind, but God used it for something different. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I went into Mongolia, Jacob, uh, back Back in the early nineties uh, of, of the last millennium <laughs> of a century ago, uh, I, I made sure. three trips into Mongolia, and uh, the first trip we went into, uh, we were there to uh, help with the the, um, the inauguration of the Jesus film and do some training, some early training of of just the very handful, the very few Christian converts there were. And the second trip I went, we took the Jesus film. Uh, in and we in ten days we showed the Jesus film a hundred times all across Mongolia, and uh, we had jeeps going across the Gobi Desert and so on, 
And uh, 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 what happened was, back in 1914, the the Russians had, and to some degree, conquered Mongolia, and they imposed communism on the Mongolian nation. And they they closed down all religious expression, Christian or 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 Hindu or Buddhist or whatever. They closed the pagodas and all that, and they they caused and made the people of Mongolia start living in cities. They built these big uh, block brick block cities and apartments because they were used to living out in the out on the land, you know, living off the land with their horses and so on, with their herds. And so they brought them into cities, and in every city, uh, the the Russians uh, built and maintained state-of-the-art projection equipment. And so all through those decades, the 70 years from uh, up until the 1990s, the Russians had uh, these uh, movie theaters with modern, with state-of-the-art movie uh, projection equipment, so that they could show their uh, propaganda films, so that they could, you know, uh, propagandize and train the people in communist in the communist belief system and so on. Well, as it turns out, when our jeeps and when our teams went out with the Jesus film to all of these these hundred showings and hundred showings of the Jesus film across the nation, where did they show those films? <laughs> they showed them in those state of the art movie theaters that the communist Russians had built and imposed, <laughs> and the Jesus film they were there ready to receive these thirty five millimeter canisters of films and ready to show the Jesus so it, they meant it for one thing, but God used it for another and that's that's what something now, we could say today uh Go ahead. Did they show it in the Mongolian language then? Oh, yes. Uh, everyone heard, yeah. the, saw the book of Luke, uh, which is essentially what the Jesus film was. Uh, it, it, it wasn't fantasized or romanticized. It was uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, and they heard Jesus speak and preach and teach in Mongolian. It, it was just a glorious thing to behold. But like I say, God often overrides the the intents of humanity to accomplish his own goals. And we see that with the Pax Romana. We see that with the Roman roads that were built, Paul and the gospel flew down those roads across the Roman Empire. And then there was another, a third major factor that contributed to the book of Acts and to the mission the uh, as, as the gospel spread like wildfire, like I said, across the Roman Empire. And that, that was that there was a common language. Uh, the Greeks had ruled before the Romans, and the Greek language had become the kind of the lingua franca, the common language, so that when Paul went in to all to Thessalonica, when Paul went into Corinth, when Paul went into these um, many cities and to do his work, uh, he could speak to the people. There was a common language. They didn't all understand Hebrew. They might have had their own local dialects and so on, but there was a common language because of the power and the influence of the Greek culture on the world uh, that had preceded the Roman Empire, Greek was the language of commerce. And so uh, there was a lingua franca that was so important as the gospel was taken to all these different people groups. Uh, it sped up and, and facilitated the, the transmission of the, and the communication of the message of the gospel. And finally, you have the Pax Romana, the Roman roads, you have a common language. And then there was that little magic Jewish 
uh, contribution. As you know, this was a, a time of what was called the diaspora uh, through the uh, Neb- through Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian uh, exile. The people of Israel had been taken out of their out of their land in the seventy years of exile um, the, through the Assyrian uh, exile that we talked about last week. The ten northern tribes had been taken up into exile and never returned, and they were spread out through the uh, nations of that time. Well, all of those were there. I need to ask you a question here. Uh, Jacob, when was yes, it during was it during the diaspora, the dispersion, the spreading of the people of Israel out out of Israel across the nations of the world? Was that when the synagogue, the 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 entity we call the you know when there were ten Jewish men, uh, twelve years or older, um, in, in a given locale, they were commanded or exhorted to have a synagogue, a place of teaching. Was that when that was born? Was during the time of the dispersion? It, it was. Uh, it was after. It was after uh, Israel was wiped out, and the temp, the second temple, was destroyed, and that's uh-huh. when people gave, began forming their own temples, synagogues, that kind of thing. And I would like to. Uh, that's absolutely correct. Uh, the, the spora, or the spreading, the sending out uh, after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. They killed approximately two to two and a half million people. And a- A.D. 7, this was 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed there, right? That is, that is, that's correct. And when they, and then the Romans changed the name of Jerusalem to Alia Capitolina. And so it bared that name for all. But I did want to go back to something really I want to say about, you ask what else uh, was uh-huh. catching my attention between Exodus and Acts. Uh-huh. There's one more thing, and you kind of touched on it. You mentioned something in the book of uh, Genesis. Did you, and there's an interesting thing. Why does it? Why is it necessary? What's going on? Is it just to save people? Or what's going on? Because you ever notice that when God made Adam in the Bible, he said he... So Adam had God. He had company, you might say. Uh-huh. But yet... God says it's not good for man to be alone. Now, that clearly is referring basically to husband and wife and family, no doubt. But from that, we also derive other, you might say, social kind of laws. Right. And it's not good. So you can also derive the fact of, let's say, in the book of Acts, that what's going on is these people are going out because, aside from wives, they're not being alone. And and so I always thought that was an interesting fact that here's Adam. He's not alone. He's got right. God, but God says not for him to be alone. Uh-huh. So so I, in the book of Acts, as you read that, I mean, you read all these people, all these nations, and they're certainly getting their feet wet in the idea of, of the Gospels. And, and for many of them, that might be the very first time similar to you in Mongolia. Yeah, yeah. They're just they 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 they're extrapolating from the God of creation, the nature, and and they see certainly about God's power, about God's definitely something of God's love because all of nature, this this planet, this blue planet we live on, seems obviously to have been created to a great degree for our fulfillment, for our satisfaction, for our for humanity's uh, for us. Uh, it seems clear. Uh, we know there are storms and we know there are hurricanes and all, but essentially the this we 
our food, our uh, water, fresh water and breath and oxygen, this was created to sustain, uh, obviously, the human life. And we see that the, the purpose of God from the very beginning was was a was a um, humanity, a race of beings. That's one of the reasons that God said it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, that was in the context of the fact that the animals were created, male and female, for procreation, for growth. And part of this understanding is that uh, Adam and, and then Eve were created. God had in mind a race of human beings, not just you know the Adam and Eve themselves, but a whole race. And out of the race of humanity, the the purpose of God was we see in the scriptures is to call out of the race of humanity a people for Himself. I will be their God; they will be my people. Those who long for Him, who love Him, who desire Him, and seek for Him with all their hearts. And God has made uh, that's what the gospel about the revelation of God is all about. He progressively reveals himself to humanity. And one thing I've noted is, is that as the human race expanded out of out of the Garden of Eden, you have, you have Cain and Abel and Seth, and then you see the expand the human race beginning to expand around the world until you get to Noah and the the, the judgment on the race and the the flood. But then after that you again, know, and, and if I and if I could add one highlight, sure, just an answer. Short time uh, in the book of Acts in chapter ten. Of course, that's a famous chapter where the centurion commander, I guess, like a colonel or general, uh-huh. whatever he is, his name's Cornelius, and Peter goes to him. Yeah. And what's interesting is, do you ever give any thought to why it could not have been Paul? And I'm talking about the same thing, the same principle you're talking about about spreading the word. And why was Peter? Why not Paul? Tell me why. We only have a couple of minutes, but well, try to... Okay, here's why. Because Paul, as you said in the introduction earlier tonight, Paul's a Roman citizen. Uh-huh. So Paul is, as a Roman, is free to talk to Roman generals and other Romans without any necessary penalties. Right. Peter, and in the book of Acts, it's Peter that goes, uh-huh. and people, and it says right in chapter 10, it says, Cornelius just thought of well by among the Jews, he gives... Uh, donations and charity, and, and the Jews think well of him. And then but when Peter gets there, Peter says to them right out of the chute, he says, hey, you know, we have a law. Unfortunately, some people always think that's a Jewish law. That is not a Jewish it's law. It's a Roman law. That's a Roman law. And the penalty was for a non-Roman to preach and get somebody to switch to a different religion where they deny Caesar as God. It was a death penalty. For the non-Jew, for the non-Roman, in other words, Peter was a Jew. However, for the Cornelius guy, Peter was being a sweetheart, because what happened is, while the Roman did not get killed, he did lose his wealth and his estate. So Peter was sent, and you've got this. So you're talking about the spreading, and it's always struck me it was essential for that story that it was Peter. Instead of Paul. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, let me mention one other thing. We're just about coming to our time. I wanted to spread on that idea of the diaspora. The existence of the synagogue was the final factor, the fourth factor that Jesus came with. Because where did Paul go when he went to uh, Thessalonica, when he went to Ephesus, when he went to all these cities to carry Iberia and so on? 
He went to the synagogue (laughs) right before he went to the local jail (laughs) most times. But you have those four factors that made it a perfect time for this message of the gospel to explode out of Jerusalem and across the Roman Empire and facilitated the spread of the message of the gospel. Jacob, you've got an important message before we say goodnight. I do. Always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent, and I will see you next week, Sam. See you then, everyone. Bible to our culture, and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box eighteen eight eighty eight. That's Box eighteen eight eight eight, San Antonio, Texas seven eight two one eight. Hear the entire Bible every year on the Bible Live weeknights at nine thirty on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.